You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. What is the nerdiest thing you have ever done to look cool? We can do this in private if you want, that's cool. But um, for, for, for me, and I will be honest because we're friends here, um, for me it was in high school, my, my dad specifically told me um, not to get an earring. And he constantly said to me, you're not getting an earring, you're not getting an earring. And I was up at my cousin's place and uh, I went into the salon there and the temptation was just too great. And as a teenager, I know, just amongst ourselves, I got an earring. I still got the hole, still got it there, still could wear it because there's nothing wrong with earrings. If you're a guy and you've got an earring here tonight, power to you. Um, but but it, was, uh, it was one of those moments in my life that then, then two and a bit years later, I end up at a, a private school in Sydney's Upper North Shore, and you do not have earrings at those sorts of schools, and you do not have the purple hair that I had at the time, and uh, you do not have uh, the army boots that were done up with pins in them, and the black goth shirt, instead you trade that for things called boaters and blazers, and uh, I was a transformed young man. Now, what's the point of it here? Is this me, or is there something really powerful about the culture that is around us? At any point in time, some of us have looked back and, and thought, wow, I can't believe I was wearing that. And more often than not, we think, well, we did it because well, it was cool. Yeah, what is cool? cool? It's so hard to define cool because I'm not one of those artistic sort of persons. But um, you know, cool is generally you know, what, what a whole people in a culture conform to. And one of the different phrases that I see thrown around is that Christians aren't cool people. You know, Christians just can't be cool. And I think that's because in some respects, there is an element of truth to that. The Christians don't often conform to the culture that is around them. That's the tension you guys face. Do you want to conform to the culture that's around you? Do you want to be a part of that? Do you want to assimilate to that? And two things that we learned last week when we started this new series called Expats, living as exiles and foreigners in foreign faith lands, is that uh, through the prophet Jeremiah, God was saying in Jeremiah 29, verse 7, that the Israelites who were taken away from their holy city were to seek the prosperity of the city. to uh, Not to separate from the city, but to blend in with the culture, be deeply involved in the life of the city, but living distinctively as these people. Get involved, but be distinctive. He was saying, I don't want you to love me and hate the city, or love the city and hate me, but I want you to love both. It's a real tough tension. So how do we live as expats, faith expats in foreign lands? And the key issue that we're going to see throughout the Bible and through this passage tonight is that God often, it's just a funny way that he works, scatters his people often into unbelieving and hostile places. And it happened right throughout the Old Testament. It happened right throughout the New Testament. When you look at the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8 in specific, that God scatters his church out into these places of unbelief all the time. Why? Because God planned for his people to be expats in foreign lands so they can prosper the city that's around them. Big call. What does that look like? Let's have a look at that tonight. We're going to read from uh, Daniel chapter 1. It's the Old Testament, so you're going to have to go way back in your Bibles here to uh, Daniel chapter 1. We're going to read through, finally, we're going to read from Daniel when we're doing a series on Daniel. That's a good thing to do. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through to 8. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. 
And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. And then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, our main guy, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. See, it's a tough balance. Tough balance. What we see from Daniel's example here, if we're going to go in and prosper the city and be a part of the city, first and foremost, uh, we see in verses 4 to 5, it says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief uh, of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand. Finally, an Old Testament passage that I can relate to. <laughs> but really, who, who is this guy? Who is, who, is, who is Daniel? You see, first and foremost, we see that the, the God was saying through Jeremiah, and Daniel lives, lives this out. God's saying, don't separate from the culture around you. Assimilate. That is what's happening here. Who is Dan- Daniel? He's a biblical example of how God uses people to adopt the culture around them for the practices and the purposes of God. You see, look at this guy. He was, Daniel was almost like a prophet himself, stood out there, was courageous under pressure. He was completely monotheistic. It meant he believed in one God only. He was completely a man of the God of the Bible. And yet, as it says here, these guys were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. And so, uh, as we see here, that um, they found him to be 10 times better than all the magicians and the enchanters of the Babylonian region. And see, the question is, what did Daniel do to get into that job? How did he get here? He's in sort of the civil service of Babylonia. He's sort of working for the New South Wales government of Babylon. And, of course, we know in those sorts of government institutions, it's the wise people that run these things. It's the wise people that are doing all this sort of stuff. And Daniel 1 shows us how he got there. It says that he trained for three years. You know what he was doing? He was doing a Bachelor of Arts in Babylonian culture, studying at Babylonia University. He was studying the culture. And what it's saying is whilst these wise men were the best in the land at all the Babylonian culture, that's what Daniel was. So... Well, these, these are the guys that run the, run the country. And for Daniel to be there, it meant that he would have had to have studied the ma- magic. He would have had to have studied the enchanting. Are you guys hearing what this is saying? Daniel fully immersed himself and became an expert in the Babylonian culture. The magic, the enchanting, he was an expert. Now, you come to some modern day churches and they would freak out about that sort of stuff. Stay away from that sort of stuff. Don't touch that sort of stuff. Don't touch the culture around you. 
But what is clear here, you know, and the question you've got to ask of people like that is, what are you going to say about this particular passage of Scripture? How is this part of God's plan that Daniel would go in there and learn the culture around him? What is clear is that Dan and his friends didn't refuse the call to get involved in a Bachelor of Arts from Babylonia. So why? Why would they do that? See, a lot of people live... The Christian life think it's a one-to-one thing, right? Is this part of the Christian life is that you just go and uh, you hang out and if you can get one or two of your friends across the line and, and share Jesus with them, and, and that's, that's it. And look, that is it to some extent. We want to share the great news of Jesus with our mates. Live a good life, be good witnesses. But here's the thing. God not only calls us to change individuals, but to change entire cities, entire cultures, the entire society around us for the better. Remember Jeremiah 29? God says, it's part of my plan that I sent you into this foreign culture so you can love the city and pray for the city and prosper the city. And so God is constantly sending his people into potentially hostile cultures in order that they might affect the entire culture. And how else do you do that until you've got people that are at the upper ends of the structures of that society at the time, right? Daniel was part of the New South Wales government. He was, he was, he was in there. Now, what I like about this is it, it, it helps answer the question that I get a lot all the time. I don't know if you guys have asked yourself. This question that is like, well, how am I supposed to relate to my work as a Christian? You know, am I supposed to, I don't know, am I supposed to be doing the spreadsheets? Am I supposed to just be worrying about all my study in the books? Like, how, how am I supposed to re- re- relate to the culture around me? Shouldn't I, you know, Sam, shouldn't I be doing spiritual stuff like you? Is that the objective? <laughs> And what this passage says to us wonderfully tonight is, no, we see that it's God's plan to scatter his people. And so the question that you've got to ask yourself tonight is, in what way has God given me the unique skills and unique talents and unique position to seek the prosperity of the culture around me? Where has he placed me? What is he doing with me right now? See, here's the vision God is saying to us, the same thing he said to the Jews. If you love the city, if you pour yourself out for the city, if you seek the good of the city, how much of a better witness could there be to show your city that your God is good? If, if you want your community and your faith to grow, then you need to care about the city. That's what God's saying to us. And so unless, how do I put it? Like Unless we are woven through the world, then this world gets spiritually gangrenous. The horrible thought inside, if you know what gangrene is, it's disgusting. It's where parts of the body rot and die off because the circulation doesn't get to that part of the flesh. What I, I, I want to use that deliberately so it hits us tonight because I want to say tonight, unless we're waving through the world, the world is lack, lacking spiritual oxygen. You are the spiritual oxygen. You are the godly oxygen of your friends and of your families and of your schools and every relationship around you. You're the ones there to reverse the rot. Not the professional ministers up here. It's, it's, it's you guys. So what does it look like? It looks like Christians that live in the city in a posture of services or new businesses that are started up or, or startups or not-for-profits that want to um, do all sorts of amazing stuff in the city. It's believers who integrate all of their faith in, in all of their work life. So work doesn't just become something where you're earning money, but, but a whole kingdom activity. God wants his people to assimilate so that we just don't change lives, but we change the entire city. That sounds like a big call, right? You're going, how do we do that? 
God's got, got me thinking, I don't, I don't want to embarrass people here tonight, but I know that it's like there, there are certain institutions in this city where we've got three or four Northsiders that are employees of that institution. I know that we've got a, a hospital out in the West where we've got three, four, five different Northsiders that are either doctors or nurses that are part of that institution. What happens if we win a whole hospital for the city? What happens if we win a whole newspaper for the city? What happens if we, if, if we win a whole legal firm for the city? Can you see the incredible vision that God gives us through this passage and the incredible privilege for us as an urban church that we don't have to go out going to try and do amazing things. God is doing amazing things amongst us. It's not just about winning people to Christ. It's winning the city to Christ. How could it happen? It's happening already, guys. So what is the church? What are we doing here tonight? You know what the church is? We're a culture of culture changes. We're here to be refreshed and here to be reminded about our purposes and what we should be praying for and how we should be seeking the city, the good and the prosperity for the cities. And so therefore, guys, first of all, don't separate, assimilate. But then on the other hand, he says, but don't assimilate with the culture around you, then separate. Right? Um, interesting story in the, uh, the Guardian newspaper in the UK uh, in March of this year. A little bit of a situation with a guy who was an undercover policeman. Uh, part of the issue was he, he went undercover, that he went so deep that when um, his commanders radioed in to um, get some more information back, there was blank, there was nothing. And they went in and checked even more, and, and basically this guy had gone so deep undercover that he eventually decided to go and join the people that he was spying on. That was back in the 1970s. They still haven't found him. Now, here's the question. How do we effectively assimilate without the culture winning us over? How, do, how we sort of, we're not undercover policemen as such. It's not the world's best metaphor and analogy to use. But how, how, do, how, do we, how do we assimilate and go into a culture? How do we go deep without the culture winning us, winning us, winning us over? And, and, and the first thing we see from Daniel is that you need to draw a line. Verse 8, it says in here, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Daniel resolved, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. You see, Daniel on one hand and the rest of the boys had assimilated into the culture around them. They were experts into the culture around them. But at the same time, uh, they drew a line. They resolved not to eat the vegetables and the water instead of a... Uh, in, 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 they resolved, sorry, to eat vegetables and water instead of the wine that the king was providing them. Now, why wouldn't they eat the king's food? I mean, did it taste bad? Was it because it was a pork roast and they couldn't eat it because they were Jewish? You know, it, it sounds funny, but the most striking thing about this whole situation was there was nothing intrinsically wrong with the king's food itself. There's nothing wrong with it. So this wasn't simply because eating this food broke a rule. It was because... There was something deeper. And in, in some way, only Daniel and his friends knew that in accepting the king's food, they would cross a line from learning about the culture to adopting the culture. Notice how it says the food would defile them, verse 8. It's a religious word. It means literally like spiritual pollution. Um, I've got to ask, have you guys ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that way where just something deep inside you, a situation in life where you knew that you were just sort of, you were crossing a line? It's, look, it's not, it's not easy to put your finger on. 
And as a result, most people want to come to church or to the, or to the God of the Bible and say, show me the line. Just show me the place where the Bible says I can't do this or show me the place where the Bible says I can do this. Just show me the line and it would be that much easier. And here's the tough thing. Most of the time, there isn't one. And here's why. It's because the gospel gives you trajectories. It doesn't give you answers. It, it, it gives you guidance. It gives you pathways. It gives you general directions. It's sort of like um, the TV show of The Amazing Race. You guys seen The Amazing Race? It's about all these contestants that get together and they're given this uh, funny little card and, and pretty much they're just given this two-line card that says, go to this country on the other side of the world and go and find this particular checkpoint. And the people there have to engage in the culture and eat salami if they're in Italy or eat some crazy food if they're in Morocco and endure all the things that go with eating that sort of food. But either way, they have to, they have to go and, 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 and pass through all these various cultures in order to get to the end objective. But it's just two lines. I mean, it doesn't say, go to Sydney, uh, catch this particular taxi, catch the 252 from there, get onto the plane, go to this country. It doesn't get that specific, right? They, they run this incredible race based on just some basic guidelines. And so, guys, the Christian life is the ultimate amazing race. Anyone who's a Christian knows that there's someone who's just living life according to a few principles. It's someone who's been given a new trajectory in their life. It's someone uh, who has been given principles on a card that affect every part of their life, how they socialize, how they exercise, how they work, how they play. It's what I love about our God. He doesn't tell, tell us to go and do this and do this and do this. He says, work it out. You don't get exact. You don't get little rules and regulations. You get trajectories and you get guidance but you don't get exactly what to do in every situation. The Christian life's like the amazing race. Work it out. That's part of the fun. So guys, for example, if you're a Christian in the financial world, it'd look like this. You know, Are there certain financial instruments that are being used regularly by my company in an exploitive way? Sure there are out there. Uh, and so if you're part of that sort of financial institution in which that is happening, how does that sit with you? If it's sitting tough, how can you use your role to prosper the culture around you? Or if you're working in a promotion or a marketing or advertising agency, when is the promotion that you're working on encouraging idolatry? When is the promotion that you're working on, I don't know, um, catering to the beauty idols of this world that tell all the women of this world that it's not about their worth or their significance or what God says about them, but the beauty and the externals. And how well they're being touched up in Photoshop, it really matters. How does that sit? How does it work? How are you promoting it? You see, there's, there's no answers, but the Bible gives us guidance. And these are many things, guys, we're going to have to wrestle with. And that's a problem. You don't get the rules. You just get the trajectories. And some people hate that because it means you have to think about it. It means you've got to work it out. And you know what I love? God's provided a solution for that. It's called the church. It's called connection groups. It's called his community. Why else do you think we get together and thrash this sort of stuff out and talk with one another? Because you need to process things, these things because the gospel is not a prescription. We've got to try and find out how it applies to all of their life. A Christian is someone who in every situation is just working with the guidelines of God's amazing race. And so can you see the subtlety, guys? Here's how Daniel balances the act here. We see in chapter 1, on one hand he assimilates. He's got a Bachelor of Babylonian culture. On the other hand, he's distinct. He draws the line because at that point, Daniel sensed that eating the food was to cross a line to something different, which he was um, part of that culture. 
And so here's the takeaway from his example. He, 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 he drew a line. And here's the thing, if you don't think about ever drawing a line, then that's a bit of a hint to say that you've actually assimilated into the culture. If you never th- even start thinking about, is there a line to this, then you're just part of the culture. But if you're only ever thinking about the line, uh, then you've separated from the culture. You're just worried about the rules. You just want to give it to me black and white. Here, look how else do I put it. Master the culture, but don't be mastered by the culture around you. That's what Daniel did. He mastered the culture, but he wasn't mastered by the culture. By keeping their commitment to God, rather than falling into idle commitments, these young guys saw through the wisdom of Babylonian culture, took what was best out of it, but still remained true to God in the rest of it. What a model for us. And so here, look quickly, as we're starting to finish up tonight, here's a question you're probably asking, how do I know if I'm being mastered by the culture? First question I just want to ask you, three, real quick. What's your motivation for engaging the culture around you? Are you like the undercover cop? You see, the most dangerous thing that can happen is that you forget your mission this week. The most dangerous thing that can happen is that you forget the Jeremiah 29 verse 7. The most dangerous thing that you f- is that you forget that God has carried you into your workplace and into your relationships in order to bless and prosper the city. What's your motivation? Is it for God or is it for yourself that you're wanting to get involved in the culture around you? Another one, what proportion of your time are you spending in the culture around you? I know this is a big tension for our guys, particularly in the city where work is such a massive factor. Here's the distinction. What's the difference between you working out of necessity for your boss versus out of your own need for the sense of affirmation and success? How much time you spend in your workplace can be an indication of whether you're being mastered by the culture. Most of all, are you like Daniel? Are you distinct enough? Are you courageous enough? Are you sensitive enough to draw a line every now and then? I was so humbled this week in talking to one of our young guys. I'm going to mention him because I'm going to embarrass him. But we were sitting down having a coffee this week. And he was coming off the back of some really uh, a tough work situation. And he went in for an uh, interview recently. And uh, he was telling me how he went in for this interview. He didn't have any other jobs lined up. And, uh, and he was there chatting with the interviewer. And I was starting to get to the end of the interview. It was looking pretty positive. And the, and the guy interviewing him said, look, what's your flexibility like? And this was a phrase that blew me away, and I'm just going to carry with me for a little bit. He turned around and he said, well, you know what? I run a youth group on a Friday night, and I go to church on Sundays. So I can't work during any of those sorts of times. And I, I thought, there is someone who gets it. There's someone who, who, who drew a line, courageously drew a line, said to someone, look, stared a potential job in the face and said, my God comes first. If you want to meet him, I'll introduce you to him. I think we should all have a one-to-one with him this week. But it just, (laughs) it gave me such encouragement in our community, guys, that there are some of us like this that are living that out and taking that courageous Daniel step and saying, this comes first in my life. And if it's going to cost me my job, it's going to cost me my job. But this comes first. And you know what he got hired? I'm not saying that there's any sort of, I'm not one of those churches that just say, yeah, because, you know, but it seems to work, right? Those biblical principles. He, uh, he mastered the culture around him, but he wasn't mastered by him. So what's your motivation? What proportion of time are you being distinct enough? Don't assimilate, but be separate to some extent. So we've seen that. Don't separate, assimilate, and then assimilate, but sort of separate. 
it's all sounding a bit confusing. Let's look at a new model. There's got to be a third way in all of this. How? Be a Daniel. Be a Daniel is what we're thinking. But yeah, the story of Daniel just points to the true Daniel. It points to a true Israelite who left the safety and the comfort of his holy place. It talks of a true Israelite who left his real home in order to assimilate and adapt into a foreign culture. You know, there was, who, there was one who really did master the culture around him. There was one who faced temptation to become one with the world around him, and yet the Bible says he lived totally without sin. The people of God knew that God was holy and loving and wise and interested in them and the world, but only in Jesus Christ did that become a concrete demonstration to the world. Only, look, Jesus didn't under-engage the world. He came. He came. He didn't separate himself. He came. But he didn't over-engage the world because he died. They killed him for it. He was so distinct he got killed for it. He didn't separate, but he didn't fully assimilate. He became incarnate. That is, he was a representation of God in our world. He lived his life as God, as a human. He was distinct from the world for the world. And it's a perfect model for us. He calls his followers to be the same. And so look, guys, here's what you face tomorrow. Your choice to draw a line. A choice that's going to happen around water coolers. The choice that's going to happen with um, an employee who sort of sits over the uh, open plan desk. It's going to be the choice over at a coffee table. It's going to be a choice during recess in the school ground. It's going to be a choice uh, at the uni bar at the end of uni tomorrow night. Someone here tonight will be asked the question, what did you get up to on the weekend? You know, when that happens, if it's ever happened to you, your mind sort of goes in slow motion for a little bit. And you sort of rattle through all the different permutations. And I don't know, it happens in my life, but my brain always seems to gravitate to a certain phrase that just says, stuff. We get really vague, don't we? We get really vague and we just said, I'm, I'm getting up to stuff. But that, the opportunity is going to be there to be a Daniel, to be part of the culture, but to say, I ain't eating the food, spiritually speaking. Guys, we'll never fully get this right. We'll always have a tendency to over-engage into the culture, be one of them, get nearing, right? Or we'll, we'll, we'll under-engage our culture and separate. And the way to summarize it is don't separate but assimilate, but then don't assimilate, but separate. Guys, just, if it's too confusing, incarnate. Represent God in your world this week. Live the life of the model of Jesus Christ. We mustn't privatize our faith. That is, you know, to learn the world's education and its values whilst keeping our faith to ourselves. We mustn't um, separate our faith by keeping to ourselves in little Christian ghettos and be disengaged from culture. Rather, we must incarnate. And like Daniel and ultimately, Jesus Christ, be emerged and engaged in the culture that is around us and mastering its wisdom and constantly remembering that we're God's people, being distinct from the culture, for the culture. So guys, what do we learn? Dare to be a Daniel. That's what I used to sing in Sunday school. Don't know about you. Dare to be a Daniel, standing by a purpose true, heeding God's command, honor them the faithful few, or hail to Daniel's band. Dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, dare to make it known. Hold the gospel banner high onto victory grand, Satan and his host defy and shout for Daniel's band. But dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, dare to make it known.